There is no woman in the country who we are not trying to reach. These are makers. This is makers. Las primeras. These are makers. This is the makers. This is the makers podcast. Hey everyone and welcome to the Makers podcast. I'm your host Amanda McCall and today we're going to talk about ceilings. Now, if you're wondering if you may have downloaded the wrong Makers podcast, this is not a construction podcast about making ceilings. We're actually talking about glass ceilings, symbolic ones. We've all heard the term glass ceiling, the invisible barrier hindering the advancement of women in their professional lives. It's a metaphor that originated in the 1980s and has become a staple in any discussion of women in leadership, particularly in the last year. And it's been a really powerful image. But in this episode, we're going to give the glass ceiling metaphor a little bit of an update. And it's inspired by something Alfre Woodard said in her Makers interview when describing some of the barriers women of color face in Hollywood. There are people that get to walk in the front door. Pretty white girls go in the front door. Interesting white girls have to go around to the side. Strong white girls have to maybe try to come in the back door. But then some of us of color, we just have to walk through the wall. Does the truth and knowing the statistics, knowing the truth, does it slow us down? Does it depress us? Hell no. It actually fuels us. Imagine that gender equality is a building. It's got four walls and a glass ceiling. Because of these walls, the ones Alfre mentioned, some women do not even get the opportunity to access the glass ceiling, let alone shatter it. And we will never truly shatter it unless we have every single woman in the building, not just a select few. One woman who has been smashing a lot of walls down is Ava DuVernay, the first black woman to win Best Director at Sundance, the first black female director to be nominated for a Golden Globe, the first woman of color to have a film nominated for an Oscar, and recently the first woman of color to helm a $100 million film. Ava has had tremendous success, but none of it was because doors were open for her. These walls were very thick, and no one ever invited her in to the building. She had to find her own way. Studios were not interested in the inner lives of black women like I thought they would be. Go figure. So I had, uh, you know, I had that revelation. and was like, girl, of course. Like, that's not going to happen. You need to find another way. And I think the more that we can empower ourselves and know that there are other ways, that we don't have to be authenticated by these structures, that we don't have to be told that it's valid, that we find ways to make it happen. You can really pick up a camera and start shooting something that's not permission-based. And, you know, you just have to begin. You have to start somewhere. And when you begin, you're no longer dreaming. You're doing. Instead of dreaming about what's on the other side of the wall or waiting for permission to walk through it, Christy Haubiger said, F*** your wall. I'm going to build my own building. Christy Haubiger was born in Houston, Texas, in 1968. My mother was Mexican-American, but I was adopted by a tall, blonde family when I was uh, very small. So I grew up with the last name Haubiger and had a fantastic childhood, actually. I felt really, really fortunate. I actually thought it was better to be adopted than 
not to be because, I, you know, my parents told me I was chosen and I was special. And I used to brag to people that, well, you know, I was, I was adopted and you might have been an accident. My parents were enormously loving and supportive, and they wanted me to feel really good about who I was. And they told me that I had to learn Spanish and wanted me to feel really good about my heritage. But what her parents were telling her was very different from what she was seeing in the media around her. I didn't see a lot of people like me in the media succeeding. My parents told me I could be anything, that a young Latina could do anything. I didn't see stories that were consistent with what my parents were telling me. I have a vague memory of, you know, like seeing Char on the love boat. <laughs> Once a year, West Side Story, you're grasping at like three or four television moments a year. I remember reading all these teen magazines and feeling really unattractive and left out. One of my favorite statistics from, from research is when we ask Latino young people, what percentage of the United States do you think is Hispanic? The median answer is 42%, right? They think they're more than 40%. Now, the answer is actually 17, which is a considerable number. But if you think you're 42% of the country, but you're less than 5% of television, who do you think is wrong? After earning her undergraduate degree from the University of Texas at Austin, Helbiger went on to Stanford for graduate school, where she took business classes. One of her class projects was designing a business plan for a women's magazine. I basically did a class project and wrote a business plan for a magazine for Hispanic women that I completely based on Essence magazine. My friends who are African-American had grown up reading their mother's copy of Essence magazine, largest magazine for African-American women in the United States. I always thought it was amazing that there was nothing like that but for us. What I wanted to do was tell our stories to change the complexion of the newsstand. I wanted to change the images of Latinas in this country so that other people could see the full diversity and complexity of who we are, but also so that we could see who we are. You can't be what you can't imagine. Confident that she could turn her class project into an actual publication, Halbiger landed a meeting with the founder of Essence magazine, Ed Lewis. I had about 15 minutes with Ed Lewis, who was like my hero. I came in with a business plan and I said, there are going to be more Hispanic women in this country than African-American women in about 20 minutes. And we haven't had a magazine yet. With Lewis's help, Halbiger got to work creating the first ever magazine for Latina women. Though it was clear that the audience would be there, finding advertisers for the magazine was considerably more difficult. The consumers were there long before the advertisers, which makes the business really tough. I knocked on all of these doors, the makeup companies, the automotive companies. I heard the most incredible objections, the same stereotypes and the lack of positive images of Hispanic women informed their view of who we were. I had people ask me, do you think your readers can afford our product? You're selling a $5.99 lipstick at Walgreens. Like, I know a lot of poor people, they all have lipstick. We can show you the research. Have you ever seen a Latina without lipstick on, ever? Latina magazine launched in 1996. The cover of its first issue featured a young rising star named Jennifer Lopez. To see her face on the newsstand, with everybody else. And I was like, wow, we look just as good. And I was like, wait, we actually look better. 
Jennifer reappeared on the cover a number of times. There's a funny moment where there were so few Latinas who were famous. The debut issue of Latina Magazine had only 17 pages of ads. Within just three years, it had 117 pages of ads, and it's been growing ever since. Just as Haubiger had suspected, the audience was there and the market was there. Our target audience and our typical reader is a woman who was born in this country, maybe to parents who were not born here. And so in many ways, she's navigating two worlds and she's navigating two languages. And her life is very different than that of her mother's. And we wanted to be her compass in some ways and help her kind of navigate and balance with one foot in each world. The reaction to the magazine launching was wonderful. I mean, just the letters from the really inspirational things from like, oh my gosh, I never knew there was a Latina astronaut and I read about her in the magazine to I'd never seen makeup tips on someone with my skin color. You see women like Jennifer Lopez and Salma Hayek and you think that's not just Latina beauty, that's what American beauty looks like. We started in 1996. I think there were maybe 10 full-time employees. And, you know, within a few years, we were 60. It's something I'm so proud of, that there's actually a whole generation of women who, to some extent, can take it for granted. Like, well, of course we have a magazine for us. Of course we do. These days, although there are many marketable Latina celebrities gracing the covers of magazines, there is still a long way to go to reach the representation that reflects population numbers. I think there's your work, and then there's your life's work. And when I wanted to start the magazine, it wasn't just because I loved print media. It was because I wanted to tell our stories and change our images. And I knew that the next phase of my career was going to be focused on doing that in television and film. The Latino and Hispanic population is one of the least represented groups in entertainment. They make up over 18% of the U.S. population, but only 5.8% of the speaking roles in film and television. Haubiger set out to do for Hollywood what she had done for magazines. The president of CAA offered to create a role for me. I didn't really know much about the agency business, but I knew it was a gatekeeper to which stories get told. I could amplify the voices of Latinos in Hollywood and actually get them through the door. But as much of a positive impact as Haubiger has had, she still recognizes that there's a lot of work to be done. When I started at Latina, I had a really good day in Detroit. I'd gone to see General Motors and Chrysler and Ford, and they were all stepping up and advertising in the magazine for the first time. And I felt so triumphant. And I went back to my hotel, and I was, you know, wearing a suit like this, and I went down the hall to get a bucket of ice. And a woman stopped me in the hallway and said, oh, wonderful, dear, are you bringing those to all the rooms? And I thought of like 10 really good things to say when I got back in the room. But at the time, all I could say was, no, ma'am, just my room. And, of course, she walks away puzzled. And I'm trying to decide, should I go back and polish off the mini bar? Or, no, you know what? I need to get back to work. Because until that woman sees me and thinks, wow, that looks like an entrepreneur. Or I bet that's a lawyer. Until that woman sees me and thinks that, we're not done yet. 
As a gatekeeper, Haubiger has opened the door to so many amazing Latino women working in Hollywood. And this is possibly the most important aspect of breaking down the walls. Once you get through the wall, it's really important that you bring other women with you. Because, as the late, great Flo Kennedy once said, I know we're termites, but if enough termites get together, the house will fall down. Thanks so much for listening. And to learn more about Alfre Woodard, Ava DuVernay, Christy Haubiger, and other glass ceiling shattering women, go to makers.com. <laughs> <laughs>